0: Mustang Sally, take one. Oh, wait, are we live? Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog, from fuga-A to fuga-Z. Joining me today to discuss In Defense of Humans, originally released on the State of the Union D.C. benefit compilation in 1989— are Brian Gathy and Jeff Kaplan, the hosts of End on End, a podcast journey through the entire Discord Records catalog, one release at a time. Sound familiar?
1: Welcome, Brian and Jeff. How do you do, guys?
2: Hey, good. Thanks for having us
1: on, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, doing good. I'm happy that we are relegated to a comp track. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. <It's... laughs>
1: what's a Wait, what's a comp track?
2: Oh, a compilation track. I got it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah I got it, got it. <laughs> you threw me off there for a second um, me too I thought he meant both of us being on at the same time was it comp yeah
0: yeah I thought it was like some kind of a, a studio uh, terminology studio musician terminology <laughs> right so anyway um, you guys as I said you're doing this whole journey through the entire discord records catalog uh, which I think is a great benefit for you talking about this song in particular. It's um it's a little bit of a of a deep cut as far as Fugazi is concerned I would say, um, and of course we could get into that a little bit later. Um, but it's cool in particular to have you guys because you guys have a lot of expertise, uh, much more so than I do in I would say probably early um, DC hardcore, the origins of that kind of sound uh, and the bands who are doing a similar kind of thing. This is a very early Fugazi song, so it's nice to have your expertise. So. I guess uh, I'll I'll ask Brian as since you're the one who sort of started the podcast, how did this uh, come up in your mind? What made you decide to start doing it? And if you want to talk a little about the concept of the podcast for our listeners who haven't heard it,
2: so we uh, we go through the Discord catalog one one release a show, and I, I thought that was going to going to be uh, kind of very fine pointed, but. Uh, you've you've kind of upped a, upped our game with with doing a song a podcast. I like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, but yeah. So where, where else is there to go? You're, somebody's gonna have to come along and just break it down more. And just be like, I know a verse, a, a verse bar, each yeah. podcast.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, yeah. You know, so it it's kind of funny. Me and Jeff are both bass players. Hey, me too. And oh, there you go. Yeah, I. <laughs> My original plan was I was really up in the air between doing a a, a bass player podcast or a Discord-based podcast. And I, the reason I hesitated is just because I felt Discord is one of the more, or the DC scene in general, is one of the more documented scenes of, of any. And yet, you know, it was where I cut my teeth and where I got, you know, pretty much my life direction from, quite honestly, uh both musically and philosophically in so many ways so it it kind of won out in the end and the, and I still I had so many questions about you know behind the scenes things and recordings and all that and it gave me an excuse to kind of revisit all these things that meant so much to me when I was young and see if it still resonated and also carry the lineage forward and that that was the so that was the genesis but you know it, jeff coming on is really up the game of the podcast he's he is all about the uh, history and the details whereas uh, i'm more about the impressions and the uh, motivations behind the people making the music so i, I think we complement each other really well and you know i've just been super grateful to be able to do it
0: yeah, it's it's cool like listening to your podcast and uh hearing you talk about like being at Rites of Spring shows and stuff like that. Um I which I I was I was not that OG with the uh the DC scene, so um it's it's cool to have that perspective and uh and get that background of knowledge.
2: Oh, thanks, yeah. I I mean, you've probably said it on on your show before, but I'm only about halfway through the bees on your show. Where did you enter the enter the stream of the Discord bands?
0: Um, I probably entered it uh, around ninety five, ninety six. Starting to listen to Fugazi. Um, I, I I think I really did start with them and worked backward a little bit from there. Yeah, for me, cool. it's it's one of those weird things. I entered sort of in the middle, but l- luckily in time to get out and see Fugazi several times uh, before they stopped playing. So, uh, count my blessings for that
2: and so yeah i mean what what's your uh impressions, Jeff, from hopping on board and kind of taking the ride with me
1: yeah, i mean it's been it's been great, and actually uh Brian's original concept for the podcast was continued when I jumped on board because I think a part of his original idea was with his other co-host. Whereas Brian has a, you know, historical knowledge of these records, he was present and there and saw a lot of the bands that we cover, especially right now where we are in the podcast, which is kind of 1985 going on to 1986, uh, where his co-host was kind of hearing all these records uh, with fresh ears as a first impression. And while a lot of the records, especially the earlier ones, I I am intimately familiar with and and grew up with... um, in general, I'm really not as familiar with a lot of the discord catalog at least not as much as 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 Brian is and so I was able to still uh bring that, but with probably a little bit more of a background and vocabulary when it came to hardcore and punk and underground rock or whatever you want to whatever you want to call it uh but one other thing that I think makes us a nice compliment is Brian said you know he's Very interested in kind of the motivations behind the music. And he's talking about from the artists themselves. And I'm kind of, I kind of do the segment in the show where we talk about the history and the recording details and all that stuff. But one of my, really one of my prime interests and something that you do with your Fugazi podcast is what's most important to me is actually not the historical details at all, but. The impressions that music makes once it's been released from the artist, released from the record company, and enters the world and is then heard and absorbed by people, and how records and music and songs impact people. Because somebody's, you know, some record that nobody cares about at all is somebody else's favorite record of all time. And I kind of want to get to the heart of that. So, with a lot of um, the interviews that I do for the show, are interviews of just fans, of people whose, you know, worlds were changed because of a specific record. Even though the person may have no personal ties or connection to the artist at all, once it hits them, they become a part of the story of that music. And so you do that with your podcast, and actually this episode, we're sort of continuing that because, to be honest with you, I didn't know this song at all until I knew we were doing it. So in that way we're sort of keeping that idea of a older perspective and a and a fresher perspective, you know, going with this episode. Yeah, I'm a little bit in the same boat. Um I
0: I mean, I didn't just hear it for the first time, but it's certainly not a song that I was familiar with for a long time. Probably I I probably didn't actually hear it until after Fugazi stopped playing. Um so yeah, it it is a bit of a fresh song for me also. Are you guys uh, The State of the Union, is that considered an official Discord release? Are you going to do an episode on that?
2: We will, yeah. Cool. Yeah,
0: yeah Um. basically, it, to, to give a little background for what we're talking about, it came out in this compilation, State of the Union, uh, DC benefit compilation. It actually, this comp came out in between the first Fugazi EP and uh, the Margin Walker EP. So it's really sort of like in between... Those first two Fugazi releases that got combined to uh, to become 13 songs, uh, as most people probably ended up experiencing it for the first time. And um, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting um, release. It was compiled by Mark Anderson, friend of the show, and was released on mm-hmm. Discord Records, and uh, a According to Wikipedia here, it cataloged the DC sounds of the late 1980s and was created for the American Civil Liberties Union and Community for Creative Nonviolence. All proceeds from the sales of the album were given to these two groups. So um, I guess uh, having said that uh, said that little piece, um, do either of you guys want to give me your first take on this song um, or or the compilation uh, in general I don't want to steal your thunder but we could talk about uh, the compilation on the whole if you feel like it
2: I I wouldn't mind that, you know we could we could touch on it but to to be completely honest it's not one of my favorite discord releases by by far I love that that it's a benefit and I love a lot of the bands on it but I kind of feel like to my mind especially at the time maybe when i revisit it when we reach it it'll my opinion will change but it kind of felt like uh a lot of the kind of demos and 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 throwaway tracks from some major bands and some uh m- you know m- merely okay songs from other bands and and that might be a controversial opinion but that's just how it i it hit me at the time even and and this song included honestly
1: so yeah jeff have you listened to the whole thing yeah, no no i have not and i'm i mean i'm certainly familiar with most of the bands on it i'm not quite sure how christ on a crutch got on this compilation <laughs> um because i don't think that they i mean they are from washington but not the district of columbia washington oh, so I see. i'm not i'm not quite sure we will um but i'm i'm really not prepared to talk about the comp as a whole well, actually, where we are right now in the Discord catalog, we should be getting to this comp in the first half of 2021, I would think. It's it's coming yep. up, not immediately, but coming up, you know, probably a few months down the line, so we'll, we'll get to it more then, but um, yeah, I have to take... Uh, I have to plead a little fit. bit of ignorance with uh, this, <laughs> with the comp as a whole at this point, yeah.
0: Yeah, I gave it a quick listen uh, earlier this week just to re- refresh my memory. Um, I thought a couple of standouts were there's a band called King Face with a song called Dirty Wings. I quite liked that. Oh, yeah,
2: that's a great song. There's also a band
0: called Three with Swan Street. It reminds me kind of of like Lemonheads meets
1: Blake Schwarzenbach or something like that. Um, so <laughs> those were a couple that I liked. And my uh, my band my band has uh, does a cover of Swan Street, and we actually recorded it, and it on our uh our last record, yeah. So you don't have to sell me on that song. I love it.
2: Yeah, that's that's a classic song, and it's it's cool they did an acoustic version on on there. Yeah, those are quite yeah. Quite frankly, those songs you just mentioned are probably the two standouts. Like, I'd have to look at the track listing again, but yeah, I mean those two are great songs. I mean. I was, I was happy to see Kingface represented on a Discord release. They're a great band, underappreciated, underknown, even to this day.
1: I think the One Last Wish song is also considered to be a pretty good song, and that's, you know, it you is, have half really. of Fugazi, I think, in that band. So Right, right. Good point. For Fugazi in particular,
0: where do they come into your life story? Um, Brian, can I start with you for that one?
2: Yep. Yeah, so for me, I didn't see their first show. I probably saw their third show from then on. I saw every show while I lived in D.C. and when I would come home to visit. But I remember I didn't even know about them uh, when they the very first came out. Like I said, the first couple of shows and a friend of mine was like, hey, Ian and Guy are in a new band. And they say that it's a mix of uh, Aerosmith and dub reggae. And I'm like, what? (laughs) I can't even picture that. (laughs) And, and lo and behold, you know, there, there is elements of both, but yeah, uh, once I actually went and saw them, I was absolutely sold. I mean, even from the very earliest shows in the Wilson center it was the kind of thing where people were packed in. The vibe was super, super high, high energy, uh, from the band and the crowd, everyone was super stoked. There's sweat coming off the walls off the ceiling the whole crowd just kind of moving as one big mass it was something to behold and the energy you know like I said the band was just kind of so so impactful even back then and and back then they used to have more guests you know the there's of course the videos of of Amy Pickering singing with them and stuff and I remember other folks too I'd have to jog my memory but yeah, that that's where I came in and so, you know, it was I I caught them every chance I could and it was amazing to see just how they developed and uh you know, I'm trying to think uh other than that like you know, my my band got a chance to open for them in the early 90s when I was in Colorado playing music and that was pretty memorable because I I had interviewed Ian when I was like fourteen year, years old for for my zine at the time and uh, met him once or twice afterwards. But you know he meets thousands of people. I figured. he wouldn't remember me. But as soon as we played that show, he's like, "Hey Brian, what's up?" And I'm like, "Holy shit!" Wow. And uh, it was a benefit, at, as most a lot of Fugazi shows were. But it was uh, in, in in Denver and you could bring canned food for like a dollar off the admission or something, but it kind of backfired because there was a lot of skinheads that came and started throwing the cans of food at, at, uh, you know, opening band and the, and Fugazi turned into a bit of a mess. And ever since, you know, every time I saw Ian after that show, he would always be like, Hey Brian, I like your dance move. And it was about, you know, me, uh, there's when skinheads would try to jump up and get on stage. I would kick them, <laughs> kick them in the chest or in the head f- <laughs> to get them out. But uh, yeah, that, that, that's my memories. And um, I gotta say, other than that, your I'd, voice I'll,
0: is I'll very chill. And I don't imagine you on stage kicking skinheads. So this is a very fun image that I'm getting uh, from you now. So yeah. so thank you for yeah, that. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs>
2: that's funny. Yeah, yeah, I get that. <laughs> and. You know, lastly, uh, only other kind of random memory I have is, you know, for a very short time, I played with with John Stab and a band called Weatherhead. And he used to call he used to call me uh, Gazi Gathy because because I guess because I had a shaved head and I was I would kind of jump around while I was playing guitar. So he liked to (laughs) kind of tease me that way.
1: Nice.
0: (laughs) What about you, yeah, Jeff? Yeah. Where does Fugazi figure into uh, into your
1: story? Uh, I mean, a little bit later. I mean, I started, I started listening to Hardcore when I was about 13, which is 1986, and you know, as open-minded as I was to this brand new style of music, I wasn't very open-minded when it came to that music's expansion. Um, between the time, you know, and the entire time I was in high school, if it was any more musically complex than Discharge. I kind of didn't <laughs> want to know from it. And I loved Minor Threat. But, and I knew that Fugazi, and you know, I would, I got all the zines, Maximum Rock and Roll, Flipside, where you know, that was very distinctive Discord ads were always in. And I always saw Fugazi and I know I knew that this was Ian's band, but I really resisted wanting to listen to it. I didn't want to hear Ian do something that wasn't minor threat, and combined with the fact that they were popular and the people who didn't necessarily like hardcore like them also turned me off. But when I got to college and I started meeting more people and expanding my mind and playing with bands and was shown bands like, like even like Dag Nasty or something like that, that had all the energy of hardcore but began to add more melodic elements, more complicated songwriting elements... And I eventually got the opportunity to see Fugazi at uh, the Roseland in New York City. This would have been on the, in on the Killtaker tour. And the selling point for me was actually not Fugazi. It was the fact that Unrest were opening up for them. Right. And by that point, I had become a pretty big Unrest fan. So I said, okay, all right, I'll relent. <laughs> I'll go and listen to Fugazi. And I got their albums up to that point. Uh, 13 songs, and Repeater, and, and Steady Diet, and, and On the Taker and each record took a little while for it to really sink in. I really did not like Repeater at all at first, but after a few lesson, listens, it really clicked. And seeing them really, really made it click. And I became a fan at that point. Uh, but the more memorable show was probably the second and last time I saw them, which was after Red Medicine came out. And they played here on Long Island, where I'm from, we had a very strong, I guess to some extent still do, but in the 90s was really um, a focal point, a top of the mountain for Long Island DIY hardcore. And we had a big space, which which was only about five minutes from where I live and I'm doing this right now. And it was called the PWAC, which stood for um, something about people's, people with AIDS coalition. And it was a huge building and they were allowed to rent it out and had shows and, you know, tiny shows in the back room that 20 people would show up or big shows in the big room where a few hundred people would show up. And somehow they got Fugazi. And that was such a momentous occasion that is still talked about that this hardcore, just these, you know, teenagers, early 20s, DIY kids doing this hardcore collective could land a band like Fugazi to play. And that was such a meaningful moment for this scene. To be honest with you, I didn't love Red Medicine, and I never really gave it as many chances as I gave the earlier albums. And I really don't know the Fugazi records from Red Medicine onwards. And I'm keeping it fresh because as far as our podcast goes, now that I'm in it and we kind of have this concept going, I resist the urge to listen to the records that I don't know. Until a few weeks out when I start to have to know them so I don't sound like an idiot when it's time to do an episode about it. So when you even mentioned this song, I just automatically assumed it was a later era Fugazi song because it wasn't one I had heard of. And I was shocked to find out, no, it was actually this... This earlier, more embryonic song from compilation, it was right in my wheelhouse. And I got to tell you that, you know, I know we'll get to our ratings later, but if this had been the song that introduced me to them, like back in 1989, this may have hooked me into Fugazi a lot more than a song like, you know, like Waiting Room may have. Because it's so much more of a direct kind of in your face, you know, it's kind of Fugazi at their most, at their most direct punk rock in a way
0: yeah definitely that's fascinating you say that and and one reason i'm glad to have you guys on the podcast um i i f- almost feel exactly the opposite of you like i am one of the fugazi fans <laughs> who is never really into hardcore it's like not that i viscerally dislike it i just never fell in love with it that way and so the songs of their i mean people who our regular listeners to this podcast, like it's, they're not going to be in suspense uh, up until the ratings part. They, like, they'll probably know already. This is not one of my favorite Fugazi songs because it's like it's that very early uh, hardcore mm-hmm. thing where they, where it really scarcely sounds like the band that I would come to recognize as Fugazi. Um, and uh, it's interesting to consider why that is. What are the elements that set it apart f- from what Fugazi would really become? And um, I think partly by way of introducing the song, I'll point out that um, it wasn't a a song of theirs that, I mean, aside from not making it onto one of their official records, um, it's not one of the songs that was often played, um, especially later in their career. Um, I'm looking at my statistics here. It was actually a song that was played at their first show in 1987 at Wilson Center. They played it about 25 times total. The final time they played it looks like it was uh, May twelfth, nineteen ninety, in Phoenix, Arizona, and then uh, no more, no more, in defense of humans. So, I mm. I would I would assume that, I mean maybe they just didn't like it very much, but I I think um, more than any sort of question of quality, it maybe turned out to be like, well, this is not this is not uh, representative of what the band sounds like anymore. Uh, that's it's yeah. just the the impression that that i get in my mind of of why they stopped playing it uh after 1990.
2: Yeah, i agree. Uh, it's it's very as Jeff said embryonic as as a song and it kind of feels like to me that that Ian's guitar part as uh kind of chugging as it is is kind of it's almost out of his he's not, it he, they don't quite land the groove at least on the uh recording to me.
1: But. It's it's embryonic, but you can't say that there are not obvious elements. Like if you had to sort of think of just the generic Fugazi song in your head and, and sort of write down, jot down, okay, this is kind of what I expect Ian to be doing, Guy to be doing, Joe to be doing, Brendan to be doing. There's definitely elements in this song. I mean, there is sort of the very tight picking that you hear. There is... Uh, certain you know transitions that involve some syncopated drum patterns that Brendan does. There's the dual vocals. I mean, Ian does is primarily doing the vocals, but there's Gee in the background doing you know doing some of his you know sort of his embellishments too. So it's embryonic. It's it's not as as good as songs that would appear you know even as early as the stuff on Thirteen Songs. But you can't say that it's an entirely different beast either.
2: No, but it, it, it definitely feels early, like, even if you didn't know, even if you only knew a handful of songs from a couple different records, I think it would be obvious that this is not a later song by any means. True. It's, um.
0: I think one of the, maybe one of the things that makes this less of a Fugazi song in my mind, and, and more of just a sort of almost more generic I want to say hardcore sounding song is is kind of the lack of melody like at least (laughs) when it comes to vocals right there's there's sort of an interesting you know rhythm guitar thing happening with the music but it's not used to put any sort of discernible melody over top right like if you just played Ian's vocal melody like on piano like nobody would be able to ever identify it right it's it's just like da 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 right it's it's so like monotone in the way that i think of lots of um, hardcore punk of that era basically I, so i think maybe that's one of the primary things for me that makes this different
2: re listening to it uh, quite a few times to prepare for this what the thing that stood out for me that i really liked is the part where gee comes in with the i right you know that part especially a couple i i think it's the uh, remastered version or something cuz the guitar is a little more present and the vocal his vocals a little higher but in that part it just for a split second reminds me of uh for that few seconds of that part reminds me of what he was doing, uh, say, even in One Last Wish, like just that tiny little section before it goes into the, you know, I see you I see you ride this world, rape this world, etc. Yes. And
0: it's hard to explain why, but the, so the part where Ian's singing, I don't like what I see, and then when he sings the word greed, it drops down to this note. <laughs> I don't like what uh Yeah. For some reason, mm-hmm. that part right there, I'm like, oh, like that's Fugazi. <laughs> and, and I right. have no idea why it strikes me that way. I guess <laughs> I, <laughs> I haven't been able to like analyze it from a music theory perspective, but it, it all of a sudden feels more Fugazi and less. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Less, less pre Fugazi.
2: <laughs> I see that. And same with the uh, outro to the outro that's where it's like oh, okay they 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 finally land on something that that kind of moves and moves as is a, as a uh, collective instead of just kind of these parts over top of each other like it's it's very triumphant there at the end when when they're like say you don't rise when people fall yeah, like I, yeah I, I,
1: that you know. outro that outro is the most melodic part of the entire song but in my mind, the also the part that shows the least resemblance to anything that I think of when I think of Fugazi.
0: Yeah, I really. I, I agree. Like that part doesn't really work for me. And I mean I know I, I just <laughs> sort of bemoaned the lack of melody. It's not so much that it's more melodic, it's it's <laughs> but it turns into this major key sort of feel, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and like it's it's just sort of jerks you in a different direction. I'm like, oh that's that's weird. Yeah, it's it's very it's very not fugazi feeling to me. It's it feels like uh, it feels like Operation Ivy kind of that last part to me.
2: Uh, <laughs> I could see that. It's now a that single you say it. part I, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 that kind of that kind of brings another point that that I thought of upon listening is the whole song. The song as a whole does feel like a collection of different parts. It doesn't feel like one big flow of a song. It feels like a bunch of parts thrown together. Like, hey, we need a we need a different kind of chorus. We need a different verse, etc. It's it's a little uh, Frankensteiny.
1: Yeah, I can see that. And I, I just want to say too that that opening guitar riff, like the main riff of the song, mm-hmm. really reminds me. The very first thing I thought of was Queen's "Brighton Rock." Hmm. I don't know if either of you guys know that song, the first song on yeah. "Sheer Heart Attack." <laughs> where Brian May just plays this very close tight picking simple riff but if you go back and listen to it I think you'll hear what I heard
2: interesting okay
1: okay yeah that first part your-
0: um like I got to you know hats off to Ian um I it's interesting that that you didn't think he he nailed that Brian I cause I think that's like mm-hmm. that's actually one of the strengths of the song for me um is hmm. his his playing there like I, d- I think I just have been thinking more and more like I came into this doing this podcast obviously as a fan and liking what everyone in Fugazi did but maybe not quite thinking oh Ian McKay is one of the best rhythm guitarists ever but now I feel that way <laughs> and like even I'm sure you know taking another crack at it he could lay down a better take but I'm like yeah he's, he's mm-hmm. a power chord artist uh, this guy he's like he's got this you know special rhythm in his wrist. throwing in these, like, little muted um, strums.
2: Yeah, I like his, I like his accents, that's true. Uh, I just, you know, there's a, a live version on YouTube from 87, and that one, they nail it, like, all of a sudden the song swings, like, in a way that it just doesn't on the recording for me, so, I mean, and I remember seeing the song live quite a few times, and and it would work much better in the early days than just hearing the recording. But and and you know another, I don't mean to just shit on the song, but you know I you have to really strain to hear Joe and yeah, Joe yeah. is such a such an integral part of this. Yeah, and of course part I, of the I, band, we
0: can't like completely judge this as if it's a uh like a like an official finished song because I guess it's really it was just a demo. Right? At least because mm-hmm. they also yeah. released yeah. this song on their, their first demo release. I didn't find this in, in any kind of research they did, but I had been assuming that they cut this recording when they went in to do the rest that first demo and just never ended up taking another stab at it for um for Margin Walker or
2: Well, I think I think it was a demo before the before the Thirteen Songs uh stuff. I, you know that so I don't know. But yeah, I mean, obviously they didn't love it enough to, to revisit, as you said, at, at least in the studio.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I think the it, absence of Joel, especially the three of us being bass players, it may have <laughs> should have been probably the first thing we said is that such a distinctive part of the Fugazi sound is is Joel Alley's bass. In many ways, he is the he is the foundation of many of Fugazi's songs, sort of allowing the um really the rhythm section together as well, you know, to allow sort of Ian and Guy, who are not virtuoso guitar players, um, but to kind of do their thing and, you know, create a certain rhythm, rhythmic aspect to it where, you know, a lot of times when you, when you hum a Fugazi song, a lot of times what you're humming is the bass line, and there's not a whole lot of, you know, Joe Lallyisms going on with this song. So it's definitely no. a, an ingredient that is, that is not quite there with this one.
0: Yeah. I, I actually, I think maybe that's part of the reason why I was never that much into hardcore. I mean, like not to paint with too broad a brush, but I, I guess I always felt that there's, there wasn't that, um, that great interplay between bass and the other instruments, especially guitar that I really love in music. I think like too often the bass and guitar just be kind of doing the same thing. Um, so maybe maybe that's kind of an element and like the bass the bass sort of disappears into the music a little bit. Um, which I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I want I want the bass to shine and do its own thing and uh stand out and be separate.
1: Yeah. I'll I'll loan you yeah. some Minutemen records. Oh, I I I've, oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> I've heard Minutemen, like that's they're obviously like super different, right? Um but uh yeah, I but like you know what I'm talking about. There's like sure. I have in my mind yeah, a stereotypical like platonic ideal of like a simple hardcore song and that's yeah, like that's one of the characteristics of it for me is like uh, not not very imaginative bass playing, um, not very melodic uh, singing, um, sort of um, simple lyrics. I think the lyrics to this song actually a little bit play into yeah. that, too. Um, I agree. It's, um, yeah, I agree. Because one of the one of the things I think of when I think of hardcore lyrics is they are often addressed to a you that is not like super specific. Like, who exactly are are we talking about here? You get the sense that it's like like the powers that be, like society, mm-hmm. something like that. So, um, yeah. And in this song, it's it seems. I guess uh, maybe maybe you have your own take on it, but it seems to me to be directed at violent people. And yeah, I mean, I guess the powers that be. I I'm not sure. I have a more specific idea of who this is about. Do you? Right.
2: I don't, I, I just, yeah, I, the main, uh, finger being pointed, it feels like besides violent people is like, yeah, more of a, a government or, or military type element to me. And yeah, it's, it's, you know, Ian can be even back then, but especially as Fugazi went on such a nuanced lyricist and, This is just almost too on the nose for me. Shortly after Fugazi started, like a year or two later, so many bands started playing in their style and uh, doing their Fugazi-isms. And and this kind of, to me, sounds like, you know, what a band that was trying to sound like Fugazi would play, you (laughs) know. (laughs) Like if you told me this was like a band... There was a band called Fuel who actually were pretty good, but you know I would I would believe that sooner than Fugazi if I didn't know the song. Interesting. Hmm.
1: Yeah. I I appreciate the fact that they're a little more on the nose because um, you know, for, and you've mentioned this in your podcast before that you know sometimes the lyrics can be a bit you know abstract. And and not always easily decipherable. And I, for one, did not do very well in poetry class uh, when it came to <laughs> when it came to always deciphering. You know, I'm not saying he's E. E. Cummings or anything like that, but you know, I think that you can certainly get a point across using simpler words. You don't have to be E. e. Cummings. You can be um, Charles Bukowski as well. Right, right. You know. And in this case, I think you know, I think it comes down to the fact that. You know, who, who are the only predators that humans really have to worry about? And that is other humans. And I think that, you know, the opening line in defense of humans, you know, as someone who's a, um, as a paralegal in a law firm that represents defendants, you know, it's kind of like it's, it's one faction of humanity speaking to another faction of humanity that has perhaps lost their sense of humanness. So, you know, it's not, it's in defense of humans, it's not like, uh, you know, Star Trek where, you know, <laughs> they often went to some alien land and had to sort of, you know, defend their humanness to an alien race there. You know, it's, it's a defense of humans, a, a plea to, you know, other humans who, uh, people who just want to be a part of humanity are, are looking upon as, as predators. I mean, one, one verse that's incredibly prescient. I mean, considering that these lyrics were written in probably, you know, 1987, 88, is, is the line, uh, you know, lay laid down, laid down your gender pride. We're born into our bodies, no chance to decide. I mean, you know, um, transgender issues, you know, really have only come to the, the, the uh, have had the weight that they have had in, in relatively recent years. And for him to have a paragraph addressing that is what I found to be very interesting and very forward thinking. That's a good point. And you know, the, what
2: I get is, you know, all very good points actually, Jeff. And what I get is it being all pointed at, if not government, at anybody that dehumanizes another person and, and hence, justifies violence you know in whatever situation yeah it's
0: one of the interesting things about the experience of listening to the song for the first time if if you're sort of relatively new to it is that title um and and how it plays into the song like i was i don't know about you i was kind of expecting a, a something different from that title like sort of like you were saying jeff it's um the title makes you think that this song will present a like an apologia for the human race um, uh, as as sort of like a contrast to other people other songs that might like really cast dispersions on humanity as a whole and say like oh people suck and this song would be about why like why people are actually good why why like an, a celebration of human nature or something and it's it sort of <laughs> sort of seems to be the opposite of that actually <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah it it comes at that the phrase that uh of the title in a completely different way um i i don't i don't know i i kind of <laughs> would be interested to hear ian tackle the the thing that i assumed that he, that he would be singing about
1: well yeah. i think yeah, that what would i be think a great that song. he does first of all i am i am sure that that subversion and i i was um baited into thinking that way as well uh, was completely intentional, and the thing is, is that in many ways, this song, you know, does affirm what humanity actually is and can be. And the target, sure, the target is other humans, but it, the target is humans who, again, I mean, I'm repeating myself, but who have perhaps lost their sense of what humanity can be.
2: I I, I fall, I guess, somewhere in between, seeing that. That that totally makes sense, and but it, he kind of does it in a way of negation. He's not saying what human the like like uh, Ian was saying, what the goodness in humanity. He's saying what takes away your humanity, rather than what your humanity is made of. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I think the most important lyric though is one that we haven't really discussed, and that is. His refrain of you know you don't rise when people fall which is you know that shut what i'm not going to pronounce this right schadenfreude is that what they call that uh when you put down others to make yourself feel better basically and so that line can definitely be used in sort of a you know a macro way a way of looking at you know uh, governments you know those with the big guns or can certainly be be looked upon as a human to human level as well yeah that's very
0: true like i that's. I think that's one of my main disconnects um, in terms of, I, th- I think everyone would be happier in the end if we provided for everybody. Uh, maybe that's right, just right. a crazy liberal point of view, but I don't know.
1: No, this is an anti-capitalist no, song. Yeah. This is an anti-capitalist <laughs> well, <and that's>, song. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. And absolutely. And what you just said, Ian, re- reminds me of what the very, very first political song I think the very first that Ian ever wrote, which was uh Do not consider yourself free while others are held captive in mm-hmm. embrace, which you know is right around when I met him, and right before that song, and he was in the first interview I did with him, he was so uh worried about being seen as a someone that writes political songs, and he was very conscious to say that he doesn't and that he never would. So it's interesting to see his development into more confident um, ability to connect it with personal politics as well. That's interesting because
0: yeah, there's a stanza in this song where it, it's it it's not like he's saying my politics are different from yours. He says lay down your politics. It's like a rejection of politics on the whole. Um, which I mean, we I guess we could debate the extent to which that is even possible like you have to engage in politics mm-hmm. to make some kind of change in the world I would I would say but um, uh, but I guess it, it reflects a point of view where there's there are some values that are that are or at least should be outside politics and that are more like a matter of
2: human rights right mm. and hence the word human again yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. but it's it is you know I mean like I said before I mean this is an anti-capitalist song which doesn't necessarily have to always have to be directly connected to politics I mean he's saying i don't like what I see greed I mean he's telling you you know he's telling you what the foundation is um, for those who rot this world, ride this world, rape, rape this, this world, world. use yeah. sticks and stones, use weapons and violence he's telling you. What the seedling is for all of those actions, and it's greed. And you know, you don't rise when people fall. I mean, that can definitely be uh, construed from an economic point of view as well. I mean, there is a certain there is a certain sense of of communism in this song, whether he intended that or not. Um, well, I don't you know can if it has
2: that. to be communism, but it's definitely a critique of of the capitalist motivation. I would say, because I I think he. I can just hear the Ian on my shoulder, like <laughs> wanting to uh, fight you about the about <laughs> communism.
0: <laughs> I, I have that a lot, by the way, the, the Ian on my shoulder. I'm like, what would, what would Ian say about this? I feel like I've listened to enough right. interviews with him to like have a pretty good guess you know. on a lot of occasions. Right, right.
1: Well, if you wanted to fight me, I would just tell him, lay down your sticks and stones. <laughs> Weapons and violence are better off left alone. And again, I don't know that that's what's in his heart. I'm just saying... It's it's an interpretation that can be gleamed when you are. I mean, greed is is considered a good thing, right? Greed is good, isn't that like sort of um, a capitalist mantra in many ways? Mm-hmm. And he's saying that he does not like what he sees or the repercussions that come from it. So, com, you know, saying it's a communist song is is way overboard, and I, that's not what I probably should be saying. And I don't necessarily think it even is, but. Um, there is definitely a certain anti-capitalist spirit to the song. So I'll, I'll say that and hope that Ian uh, doesn't <laughs> want to fight me. No, yeah. like, And the other thing is that
0: the career of Fugazi bears out what he's saying in this song, right? He says he doesn't like greed. Uh, he doesn't like uh, weapons and violence. He doesn't like pride. And then he goes on to to have this career in music that is like a total refutation of all those things and and sort of living that out um so yeah uh, yeah much much respect for him like laying out this little manifesto and then saying okay here's some shit that i don't like and i'm going to proceed to uh to try to show people and and live my life in a way that uh goes against those things definitely um well uh do have we left anything unsaid should we move on to ratings Uh, for people who are just joining us in this episode um seems unlikely that people would uh would make Indefensive <laughs> in Humans the their end. first listen to this podcast but just in case uh yeah we we give a rating on a scale of 1 to 5 stars but only in the context of the Fugazi catalog it seems to be like our pattern is going to Brian first so what's what do you think your your rating for Indefensive
2: Humans Indefensive Humans I would say 5 stars oh wait which direction is five stars? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I would say a very uh, I would give it a low two in, in the Fugazi catalog. I wouldn't go as low as one because it it's not you know, I don't turn it off if I hear it. There's there's elements I like about it, but it's by far not one of the first ones I I go to by
1: any means. Right on. What do you think, Jeff? As Well, first of all, as a math guy, I just want to tell you, I have no idea what a low two means. <laughs> I mean, two yep. Two is two, right? I mean, two is two. and yeah, barely, I don't, a two. It's, barely a it's two. Barely a two. So it's a one. But it's <laughs> no, not a one. It's a two? I, I, I feel right. bad saying one. <laughs> so you feel bad. Uh, for me, it's a solid... I'm going to say it's a solid <laughs> two. I, I do like the song, and I understand that this is just in the... con, And I... I know that there are Fugazi songs um, that I like less of this, or maybe don't like at all. That those have to be ones. But uh, no, I, I give it a, I give it a solid two.
0: Okay, we have a low That's two, we have a solid point. two, <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm gonna come in low with a one for me. Uh, it's <laughs> I value it very much as a historical document, and you can sort of see it, it's like a. You know those those animorphs books that were like really popular with a certain generation of kids and it's like on the cover there's this sort of like image of a of a kid morphing into an animal gradually and like this song is sort of like one of those weird in-between images of like halfway between mm-hmm. an animal and human in terms of like halfway between Fugazi's uh antediluvian uh origins and what they became so it's it's like a sort of a snapshot in time as far as um their writing and i like i think one of the things that i didn't bring up but that probably applies to this is that it seems like this predates fugazi's um collaborative style of writing that they would uh, eventually perfect and which became a huge part of who they were of, of like how i see their music um obviously like they played it at their first show before uh, Gee even joined the band It seems like to mm-hmm. me clearly something that Ian just wrote and and maybe nobody even else even had much of an input um and uh it so so it like shows just like a pure uh distilled nineteen eighty seven Ian Mackay uh like where he 's coming from and then when you add in all the other ingredients eventually you get to like what I consider real fugazi um so it's cool from from that perspective but um yeah like uh, i think uh the lyrics not great for me like a little bit mm-hmm. i don't know lay down your politics they're all big money and media tricks i'm like ugh, that's <laughs> like, yeah that's so yeah. that's so like um i don't know teenage uh, to me um and uh but i do like the i like Ian's riff i like um that descent down to that Note greed at
2: the at the uh, uh, I don't know chorus maybe we might call it that. <laughs> sure, definitely fair. And one thing I didn't mention is I, the the thing that saves it that makes it a two a low two not a not a a high one, one <laughs> a high <laughs> one for me is G, is G's vocals. I think if Guy wasn't on this, it would it would be a hundred percent one for me. But Guy kind of elevates the uh the song in a way it's nice seeing
0: a glimmer of him in there for sure yeah um definitely although i mean i gotta say i think uh if they had taken another crack at this to put on an official recording uh i think he could have done better it's sort of like it's sort of a weak take from him sort of like wavering and like i I don't know it's Mm. not it's not that i mean i think Guy's delivery on Fugazi records is often so incredible and he doesn't really bring it on this track. So, yeah, even even that, even like it shows, <laughs> like it gives you a bit of a, a hint of a flavor of what flavor would uh, would uh, Fugazi would become. So anyway, um, not one of their hottest tracks, but it's cool to to get your perspective as bona fide Fugazi historians Speaking of which, I would like to invite you to do some plugs. Never mind what's selling. Of course, I will put in the show notes a link to end on end and uh, maybe some specific episodes that listeners would be interested in. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to point out to our listeners? Um, if they if you want to point out where to reach you on social media, whatever, or any other projects that you guys are working
2: on, whatever. Why don't you go first, Jeff?
1: Well, other than end on end, I guess, um, I'll plug the band that I mentioned earlier that did Swan Street, uh, we're called, uh, Too Many Voices, which comes from a minor threat lyric, and we can be found on Bandcamp or Facebook, just, you know, do the Google Too Many Voices, uh, Bandcamp. I also play in a band called Two Man Advantage, who have been around for about 25-something years, and, um... Sort of like a hockey-themed punk rock band, but uh, hey, these bands have allowed me to travel all over the country many times, which has been an amazing experience and unexpected. But still playing music at a ripe old age—not as old as Brian, but close. <laughs> Not many but, people. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, but that's pretty much it. And you can find us there. And if anyone wants to reach out and tell me how I was wrong, feel free to uh, reach out to uh, to end on end. Cool. Care of Jeff. Care of Jeff. <laughs> Even though Brian <laughs> and, checks it.
2: <laughs> I know. And, yeah, I mean, End On End's on Facebook, and we're on uh, Instagram, End On End Podcast. And I just want to give a advanced plug for me that, and this will kind of help keep me to actually doing it, I'm starting a second podcast in the new year. And with your permission, Ian stealing a bit of your format and that it would probably be a song by song with other segments type of thing for Lungfish
0: oh very nice
2: and yeah so that most likely is going to happen end of January beginning of February and and the working title is the unanimous hour so awesome. look for that
0: great That well yeah. by the time this episode comes out uh, it that may well have launched so Definitely keep in touch and uh, l- send me the link uh, when that happens, and I'll put it in the show notes. Cool.
1: And and oh, we will be because you you know we're, we're going to be doing we have not yet gotten into any Fugazi records yet we're still a little <laughs> bit away from that, but mm-hmm. uh, this you know Fugazi had more releases in the Discord catalog than any other band. I think Longfish is actually pretty close. They yeah. may be second, but uh, Fugazi you know especially when you count the repackages you know we go by. If it's a catalog number, it gets an episode, even if it's a repackaging of old records. So we will have to find a time for you to be our guest. That would point. be lovely. Thank you. As
0: for me, um, yeah, I, uh, as usual, I don't have many plugs. You can uh, spread the word about the show. You can recommend it to a friend. Uh, possibly giving it a rating on Apple Podcasts would make it more visible. I don't really know. But you can try that. And you can reach me at <laughs> fugazi a to z at gmail.com. You can join the Facebook group, The Alphabetical Fugazi, to talk about this episode and the other stuff we've got coming up down the pipeline, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode, when we will be discussing the song, Instrument. Until then, keep your eyes open.